0: Models episode 106. I'm Steve Kwan, flying solo today because Matt Kwan's on vacation. Or am I flying solo? I would never do that. I have a very special guest, the specialist guest, the internet's favorite professor, Stefan Kesting. Stefan, how are you doing?
1: Very well, Steve. And uh, one day we'll have to have a an entire podcast dedicated to why I don't like the term professor <laughs> and uh, why I would prefer when people run into me or email me that it's just Stefan.
0: I hate the term professor. I mean, I admit that it's better than master or something like that sure and i get the the origin of professor is basically you're saying that someone is a teacher but it's just such a loaded word and you know we've talked extensively on this podcast about how ego gets wrapped up in black belt and in jujitsu a lot more than it's supposed to you know everyone says jujitsu kills your ego i'm not so sure right and if you go around calling people professor it definitely doesn't help
1: imagine if we were practicing a martial art from Rarotonga and i don't know anything about martial arts of Rarotonga but you know Cook Islands, middle of the Pacific, and imagine if their word for teacher were priest, or father, or minister, uh, just in the Rarotongan language, (laughs) we would have a problem with, you know, (laughs) coming to train under priest kesting, or uh, minister kwan, right? These these terms are loaded, so just because it's a, a word used in a foreign language doesn't mean that we have to import it wholly, without paying attention to some of the connotations that that word has in our language, which is English.
0: Fun fact, for a very short period of time, I was the highest ranking jiu-jitsu practitioner on Rarotonga.
1: Oh, really? You've been there?
0: Oh, yeah, it's uh, I've been there several times. I love it there. It's a very, very small island. It was recommended to us by a friend of my wife. And so we went there and just by coincidence, you know, as I as you do, when I went there, I searched the web to try to find are are there any jujitsu places here. And at that time, this was quite a while ago. There was one jujitsu place and it was a Gracie garage. And I have to say, I mean, you know, people love to shit on Gracie garages, but these guys were legit. (laughs) Like they were really, really good. They had no instructor, you know, for me to come in, it was a massive novelty because like they never get anyone that high ranking on the island. I, I think now those guys have made it up to black belt. But for at that time, it was a huge novelty for them. And I was shocked at how good they were just from learning internet instruction. Like they were legitimately good.
1: I've said many times that like if you, if you have to be without a formal instructor you couldn't have picked a better time than the 21st century because all you really need to do is have a training partner or training partners and a work ethic I mean obviously it helps if you can go and you know test your skills and and get calibrated in by going to train with good people once in a while obviously that's a huge way to accelerate it but fundamentally you really just need to roll on the ground on the ground and have a little bit of input and then be, uh, you know, have, have an ethic around, let's try this, let's really pay attention to the details, and let's really train this correctly.
0: Well, that's one of the things I love about jiu-jitsu is that it allows you to spar with heavy, realistic resistance. And you can take two day one white belts and put them together and let them train jiu-jitsu, and they will eventually get good at it just because They're continuously raising each other's level, right? Just because as one of them gets better, it creates competitive pressure on the other, and the whole level in the room raises up, right? So that's one of the cool things about jujitsu is that even in the smallest Gracie garage, you can actually get pretty good. I mean, it's going to be interesting going into 2021 because there's a lot of people who, you know, I know have started jujitsu in the year of 2020, which is really weird when you think about it, and for a lot of us you know, we haven't trained this year. And with that being said, you know, people have moved towards things like online instruction, or maybe their only training partner is their spouse, or maybe they have a very small training bubble. So it's going to be interesting to see in 2021, hopefully as life gets somewhat back to normal, what happened to people's jujitsu growth. And I think we'll be pleasantly surprised. I think we'll find that actually people weren't as stunted as we worried they might've been
1: they had uh, 10 months to recover from injuries as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well well well, that's the thing right I mean everyone I know in jiu-jitsu trains well, at least everyone who trains seriously and competitively they're always injured to some degree right and so when all of these guys come back and they've had a year to rehab and do conditioning like man it's going to be a nightmare <laughs> but on the bright side all of these young guys who are kicking my ass they're a year older now so they're you know the age gap is closing there they're eventually catching up and then we're all going to be playing in the master's
1: division. I once got in a fight with my younger brother when I I was 12 and he was nine, and he ended up in the end screaming at me in frustration, Stefan, when you're old and weak, I'm going to kill you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you're still alive, and that actually ties into the topic that I wanted to discuss with you today, which is resilience. Now, this is going to be the first episode that goes live in the year of 2021, Um, assuming the world doesn't end in the next two days, which is completely possible given this fucking dumpster fire of a year. But this is something that I wanted to talk about. I mean, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. We can only hope that 2021 is going to be a lot better than the last year. I think that one thing that we can all agree on is that 2020 was a shitty year and we got through it. And now it comes down to how do we pick ourselves back up and you're a great guy for this topic because i know that you've been a lifelong martial artist and as far as i can tell you're basically unkillable. You know, you have famously gone off on these incredible Arctic expeditions that terrify me just thinking about it. Presumably, you were up there wrestling polar bears like Zangief or something from Street Fighter. I know also that you've had health scares in the past, and you know, of course, your day-to-day job as a firefighter, correct, is is quite risky as well. And so, this is an area that I feel you would be uniquely qualified to talk about. But maybe before I go any further, just fact-check me here: was was everything that I said correct? I Hope it was.
1: Especially the part about wrestling polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I will say I've had bear encounters. I can't say I've ever wrestled one. And I'm I in no position to speak. I have no personal experience as to whether heel hooks can be effective against the bear or not. Maybe one day I'll find out, but that will be only if every other measure has has failed.
0: (laughs) I did read an article about an old Japanese dude who got attacked by a bear and he hit it with a tomo anagi. So...
1: I could see that. I I could see see that, that,
0: right? I mean, they're they're basically wearing like one big gi, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and apparently those bears in Japan, I think it's a different type of bear and they're not that big. So, you know, if you've got like... 40 years of judo under your black belt and this bear charges at you like a day one white belt i mean you just you know you get your two grips and you tomo and agi him off the mountain and there you go
1: i would if you can send me that link that'd be fantastic i would uh (laughs) i'd write an entire email to my list uh about just that one that one thing that's amazing
0: i'll dig it up for you but the thing is i am not entirely sure that it's true mm-hmm. because it reads like bullshit like i did see it kind of getting carried around in places but it was talking about how like it's this old japanese dude up on the mountain picking mushrooms and he hit a judo throw on a bear and i'm thinking man this reeks of like urban legend right
1: mm-hmm. oh, rural legend yeah i, I guess okay. rural
0: legend in that case yeah. so resilience, stefan why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your life actually? This is something that, you know, we never get to hear about from you. We always hear about how to get better at jujitsu. We never actually hear much about the man behind grapple art. So I'd love to kind of hear your life story in this regard.
1: Wow. Well, well, I'm fifty one years old, so I've been at this a long time. I started martial arts training. I wanted to start martial arts training when you were eight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I saw and, the letter.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's the first that's the first lesson in perseverance. I this was in the era when ninjas were just becoming popular and uh, Kung Fu was everywhere. And I was pretty sure I wanted to be a ninja assassin. And my mother was pretty sure she did not want me to be a ninja assassin. We we had a fundamental. Understandable. Yeah. short sighted on her part, for sure. But uh, so it took three years of bugging her to get to do judo. So that's, that's the first uh, sort of lesson of perseverance. If you don't, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And, it's actually, with regards to 2020, I think there's a lesson there. And that is a lot of people who were heavily affected by jujitsu. There were kind of two categories of people who were just absolutely devastated. Number one, school owners. And a lot of that, it really depended on how much government support there was for you know, businesses that had to shut down. And different countries handled in different ways. I'm not an expert on this topic. It seems like Canada... Had somewhat better measures in place for men. You know, I'm sure people fell through the cracks, but it sounds like, as a broad brush generalization, in Canada, there was more support for small businesses that had to close or were adversely affected than in the States. So that that's obviously one category of people who were heavily affected. And the other, really, were people, you know, white and blue belts, which is the majority of people who do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. But this is the people who are in the first blush. Of training and they've just discovered it and they've just discovered how life-changing it can be and now they have to stop you know maybe they've come out of a depression maybe they've you know stopped drinking as much maybe they've you know found meaning and purpose in their life and now they have to stop and that's devastating whereas people who've been training for a longer time and this is something that emily quok pointed out to me when we were talking about it on my podcast was that if you've been in jiu-jitsu for five six seven years the odds of you having had to take a break at some point are pretty high the odds of having injured yourself or the odds of life having come along or the odds of you having a sick kid at home or or whatever it is are fairly high so we have this once we've been in it for a while we have this sense that it's going to be a start and stop process right there's no marathon runner who's never taken a break from running marathons they've They've all gotten injured at some point and they've learned to, okay, you know, in a 12 months of the year, I might get 10 months of good training in. And so that's kind of a the perseverance right there is knowing that just because we can't do it right now doesn't mean we can't do it in the future. Just because we can't do something right now doesn't mean that I haven't been changed by having done it in the past. And then maybe that'll make me a little bit stronger to wait out the bad times.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really poignant thing to bring up. And it's funny, I was just talking to someone on Reddit about this the other day who was, you know, worried that he wasn't getting promoted fast enough. And I was saying, you know, look, when you have been doing this for a long time, the peaks and valleys all smooth out. And you can kind of see the big picture and that linear path that you've taken over time. When you are new to jujitsu, whether you be a white belt or blue belt, I mean your eyes have just been opened up to this incredibly addictive life-changing art and yeah i mean i think that most people who listen to this podcast probably have had that moment where like for the first year they trained jujitsu was the only thing they wanted to do and they were like on the mats like three times a day i mean i i certainly remember being like that when i started jujitsu and when you hit that first valley whether it be an injury or a life event or some just even just a growth plateau and everyone goes through that at some point mm. when you have that happen, the first time it feels like it's a world ending event, and it feels like maybe there's something wrong with you, and you can get into you know a pretty deep depression about it. but for me, you know, having done this not as long as you but I've still done it quite a while looking at the pandemic to me it's it's not the end of the world in the way that I think it would have been if I were a younger person and a blue belt mm. because being older and having more life experience like you know, I've been off the mats for almost a full year. This isn't even the longest time off the mats I've had. You know, when my daughter was born, I took a year and a half off of jujitsu. So for me, you know, just, you know, nine months, that's not the end of the world. I did it before I can do it again, but man, you know, if I
1: were young. Or just having, just having faith that it'll come back too.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's been around for a hundred plus years in the form that we know it. And prior to that, it existed in other forms like judo. And prior to that, I mean, martial arts have been going on since you know human beings made fire like it it's going to be back
1: people have been trying to throw each other to the ground and get them to say (laughs) uncle in one form or another
0: yeah exactly it's just you know it's gotten different over time and you know there's a lot of cultural concerns that factor into every martial art but other than that i mean martial arts they're they're never going to go away and i I think the question then becomes, you know, we've been through this ordeal together collectively. We, we're not out of it yet by any stretch, but we're starting to at least see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And it has it definitely been tough. I mean, I think it's definitely, we've seen that, and I don't want to get too much into, you know, relationships or politics or anything, but obviously it's, it's led to very high stress levels within the community. It's created a lot of schisms between groups of people who otherwise had always gotten along just dandy right? And it's fully understandable because people have lost either, in some cases, their favorite hobby, in some cases, their entire livelihoods. And the question then becomes, I mean, how do we bounce back from this?
1: Yeah, I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, I, I I think part of it is recognizing that we're really not seeing people at their best. I mean, in my first marriage, speaking of perseverance and speaking of uh, survival and and Carrying up forward, when I started, when I became a firefighter, there was this weird pattern, and when I first recognized it, I I thought, you know what, my wife is far less reasonable after my second night shift. I'd be good; she'd snap at me, or I, you know, she was clearly a lot meaner to me after I came home from my second night shift. I never even thought, until it, you know, thought about it a little bit, but my, you know, maybe it's me. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been going to calls all night. Maybe I've been, you know, going to car accidents and then going to a medical call and picking people up and putting them back to bed and then maybe going to alarms call. Maybe it's that I haven't slept, and maybe I'm not at my best right now. And I think that there was certainly an aspect of that that was true. I was not at my best, and I think we're seeing a lot of people definitely not at their best. You know, if if you haven't slept for thirty six hours. And then you're not going to interview well for a job interview. If you were to go on a on a date, on a Tinder date, you're not going to present yourself well. If you're hanging out at a party, nobody's going to go, hey, you know what? That's Steve Kwan guy. He's just fascinating. I'd love to hang out with him some more. Nobody's going to be saying that because they're all just going to see you at your worst. Mm-hmm. So I, I it'll be really interesting to see once, you know, assuming – that there's a sufficient uptake of vaccination. And assuming that things like the COVID vaccine, I think the single biggest question is, if I take the COVID vaccine today, do I pose any danger to people uh, in a couple of weeks? Is it still possible for me to be a carrier? And I think we'll know the answer to that really soon. And assuming that that's not the case, assuming that if I get vaccinated, I'm safe and I'm not a carrier for other people, I think we'll see a return to normalcy pretty quickly, and and hopefully we as a community can begin building the bridges that have been shattered and start bridging the gaps and, you know, almost like a truth and reconciliation process within the community. I I don't know how that's going to work. I think a lot of it really is dependent on what the percentage uptake of the vaccines is. Uh, I think if people don't take the vaccines, I I think we're going to really stretch this process out and uh do more damage and more schools will close. I think a lot really depends on the ro- on the rollout. Yeah. But I I don't have any I don't have any steps other than recognizing that we really everybody's been stressed to the tits, right? It, like we've been stressed out of our minds. And the people you've been talking to have been stressed out of their minds. And even people who don't think they're stressed are still stressed. So hopefully when we calm down it'll get better.
0: Yeah, it actually took me a long time to realize just what an impact this pandemic has had on me because for a while I kind of felt like, you know, I was getting by, it was was okay, I was able to make it work, but this constant blurring of all aspects of your life into one where you never leave the house, you know, you're working at home, you're eating at home, you're with your family at home, it's kind of like Groundhog Day and I didn't realize how important it was to have that routine where you actually go places and do things because it kind of creates a finite stop to one activity and a beginning to another and it establishes kind of like boundaries in your life at least in a physical sense and when you're just at home all the time you lose that i mean for many of us you know matt and i did a whole podcast episode on this for many of us jujitsu is our third place you know you've got work you've got your home and then you've got the place you go to blow off steam and to to build your social relationships And I think it's safe to say that for most listeners, that third place is probably their jujitsu gym, and that's gone, right? You know, for, and for me, my first and second places have now merged into one. So I really only ever have one place. And I wasn't really equipped to understand how much of an impact that would actually have on my day-to-day and on my mental health just you know even if technically you're able to kind of keep the machine going and you know it still winds up feeling different and i just i feel tired i just want to sleep all the time Uh, i'm actually really grateful to you for introducing us to dr david lay because we had him (laughs) yeah Yeah, we had him on the podcast and he was talking about this. And I realized, like, this guy is speaking to me. You know, I never thought of this stuff, but what he's describing as, you know, depression is exactly what my life is like right now. And I've never thought of myself as a depressed person.
1: David Lay has made the point that, you know, something like cognitive behavioral therapy is like the one kind of therapy or psychological intervention that actually has any kind of data behind it. Mm -hmm. And to grossly oversimplify it, the, the, point of cognitive behavioral therapy is if if you're feeling sad if you're feeling depressed go out and do things and kind of pretend like you're not depressed and you'll begin to feel better Mm -hmm. right like go and go out of the house go and hang out with people go to a party go and do things and your your brain will kind of get swept up and entrained in the actions that your body is doing whereas 2020 is kind of the opposite Behave as if you're depressed. Don't leave the house. (laughs) Stay at home. Don't do the things that you used to enjoy doing. Don't go on vacation anymore. Don't go and hang out at the coffee shop. Whatever it is, you know, don't go do jujitsu. And so it's reverse cognitive behavioral therapy. It's acting as if you're depressed and probably makes you depressed.
0: Yeah, yeah. David had three great quotes from the podcast that I actually wrote down because I love them so much. He said that the way that we most effectively treat depression right now is by getting people to act as though they are not depressed. He also said even though you don't feel like doing the things that you normally enjoy you need to do them and Mm -hmm. to your point the other thing that he brought up which is completely relevant is he said in this pandemic we're doing it backwards we're now acting the way we would if we were depressed and you know i agree with that and i've been taking his advice where you know i'll I'll wake up some days and i just want to go back to bed i just don't want to do anything and i think about what he said and then i make a decision to get up and do something productive and it does make a difference before this pandemic happened i think all of us could relate to that in the context of jiu-jitsu where some days we're just not motivated to go to the gym but we know that we should and when we do we feel better and i'm finding now i'm having to come up with other activities to do to raise my mood
1: i i think that's one of my big tricks that i use for maintaining motivation and persevering through difficult times and it's it's the idea that Momentum is an incredibly powerful thing. Sometimes I call this the just a tip principle, right? Just a tip just for a second, just to see how it feels so you're you're not you don't have to go do a full workout. You just need to put on your workout clothing and go to your home gym or you don't need to go for a run. you just need to put your running shoes out you're not you're not going to run all ten k you're just going to go run around the block. But then guess what as soon as you're running around the block, you're like, Ah, fuck it, I'll go run around five blocks." And they're like, okay, it feels better now. And then you, before you know it, you've usually done 10K. So, this idea of just getting the motion started, just start. You know, how do you eat an elephant? One spoonful at a time. What's the most important spoonful? It's the first one.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, just getting started is so important. And, I think that that's where most people kind of get caught up right is they get so much in their head about just taking that first step but the first step is always the hardest once you've got some momentum going it's easier to continue in that direction and you eventually start to enjoy it right if it's something that you like to do and I agree with you 100% that if you're putting something off. Just make the commitment to go and take the first step, whether it be just walk into the gym. You know, you can just make you can make the mental commitment to just walk there and sit down on the bench, right? But just make the mental commitment to take that first step. It makes a, a massive difference.
1: I use a slightly more nuanced version of it for myself. Actually, I tell myself, you know, I'm just going to go to the gym, and if I really don't want to, then I can still go home. And that's the same for a jiu jitsu gym back before 2020. It was the same for going to the regular gym, and A couple times a year, you know, maybe twice a year, I will go to the mountain trail that I'm about to hike up or I'll go and I'll get my gym clothes on and I'll go and I'll sit down on the the bench and I'm ready to start my workout. And I'm like, you know what, I really still don't feel like it. And it's okay for me to, to then call it off, then turn around and go home. But by giving myself permission to do that occasionally, just a couple times a year, it actually means i get out more mm-hmm. cuz it leaves me this escape valve right it, it presents the possibility of escape and most of the time 99% of the time you don't end up using that that out option so if people are have some concerns about this whole just get started just go to the gym try just go for you know just go to the gym and if you don't feel like doing it you can still go home mm-hmm. it it may work for you i know it works for me
0: yeah i have taken similar approaches before where basically what i need to do is convince myself to take that first step and i've had the same thing too where very rarely sometimes i'll go to the gym and i'm just not feeling it that day and you know i tried i went there but just my head wasn't in the space and, and you know i just take off and i think that's actually a healthy thing right because like you said you know you've taken the first step and at the end of the day some days you just aren't feeling it and you need to accept that that can happen right yeah. and not and not beat yourself up over it um it's especially important if you know there's a like a, a physical issue where maybe you're recovering from an injury right yeah. i it just drives me crazy when people show up to the mats when they're clearly in no shape to train but they just try to stick through it like being resilient to a fault is not necessarily a good thing there is a time when you need to take time off to recover and yes of course you want to be resilient you want to actively pursue your goals but you also have to know when it's time to take a step back and recharge the batteries and so yeah you need to give yourself that escape hatch um, because otherwise you can wind up actually hurting yourself in the long term
1: yeah well there was a famous philosopher who said uh, you got to know when to hold them you got to know when to fold them know when to walk away and know when to run So
0: (laughs) Abraham Lincoln, I believe.
1: (laughs) No, we got to credit Mark Twain. Whenever you can't uh, give the source for a quote, you just credit Mark Twain and you're probably right. So yeah, that's, you you brought up my Arctic canoe travels. So the last big trip I did in 2019, I was really not, I was in pretty good cardio shape going in there, but my muscular endurance and my muscular shape was not good at all because I'd had a pretty serious shoulder injury six months before heading out on that. And so I just had not been able to do anything near the level of paddling that I needed to do to prepare for a paddling trip. It's like trying to get ready for a marathon, but you're only allowed to go on the exercise bike and you're only allowed to do, I don't know, walking lunges, walking dumbbell lunges. At some point, if you're going to run a marathon, you should run. So I I did so little paddling to get ready for that. Just my shoulder couldn't handle it. And I was hoping that somehow it would heal up before the trip and it kind of sort of did. But as a result, I was just, I was putting in early in the trip, I was putting in 10 or 11 hour days. Towards the end of the trip, I was putting in 12 to 14 hour days. And I was just physically devastated. I would just, everything would ache, everything would hurt. I'd feel just destroyed. And in the mornings, I'd often tell myself, look, just get in the boat, just, just go a couple of kilometers. Just get to a new campsite. Just get to the next lake. Just get up past the next rapid. And then, of course, you'd end up paddling for the whole day. So that that was a very powerful illustration of the just-a-tip principle mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. action. And also breaking, breaking something down into smaller pieces, right? If you think, good lord, I've been training jujitsu for two months. I can still barely do a, an escape from side mount. How am I ever going to become a black belt? This is impossible. There's, I can't even do this. There's, Look at how good that black belt is. I should just pack it in. This jiu-jitsu sucks. You've looked at the step, white belt, black belt. Mm-hmm. And the more steps you break something down into, the easier it's going to be, right? Obviously, if you think white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, that those are more steps. But that's still too many steps. Uh, You could think, you know, white belt, one stripe, white belt, two stripes, white belt, three stripes. That's more steps, but I think that's still too many steps. You should be thinking triangle choke from butterfly guard, and that's still too many steps. You should be thinking, how do I get my grips for the triangle choke from butterfly guard? And that's all I'm going to be doing today. If I can get to, you know, depending on what setup you want, if I can get to the two-on-one from my butterfly guard, that's a success. If I can get to my overhook from butterfly guard, if that's the style that you want to do, that's a success. Mm-hmm. The smaller you break down the task, the the more manageable it seems. And that also gives you the advantage of having positive feedback in in the in the heat of the moment. Like I went out and I uh I got my grip 3 times. How many times did I triangle choke the guy from butterfly guard? None, but I got my grip 3 times. So that's 3 successes as opposed to one giant failure
0: yeah yeah it's interesting when it comes down to failure so much of it is just interpretation right Mm -hmm. if you define success or failure as some big lofty goal and that's your sole measuring stick you're probably going to set yourself up for disappointment right Mm -hmm. like if you go to jujitsu and your goal is get black belt or become world champion, right? There's a a much, much higher chance that you're going to fail at that goal than if you were to set goals that are more manageable and broken down into better steps. And moreover, if you set goals better, you're more likely to achieve that big lofty goal of getting black belt or becoming a world champion anyway, right? I think that's where people maybe get mixed up is they think that, oh, well, you know, I have to always have my eye on the prize and I always have to be looking for that black belt or that gold medal. Well, I mean, you can want those things, but if that is your only focus, then you're actually denying yourself the ability to build a routine that's gonna make you better. I mean, I remember when I started jujitsu, and I'm sure everyone who has been there has can relate to this. You know, when you're a white belt, your one big goal is blue belt. It just seems like this impossible, unattainable thing to be a blue belt. And then after, you know, however long, you get your blue belt and then you look ahead and you see this massive yawning chasm of like purple belts brown belts black belts and you realize how big the ocean really is and i think a lot of people get depressed at that point and that's i think why so many people quit at blue belt is because they realize like man if my next goal is black belt i'm looking at like another 10 years of just doing this right without hitting my goal and i think a lot of people ultimately wind up getting demoralized and i mean i i think i definitely used to feel that way but i can tell you that by the time i got to like my brown belt i i literally did not care about the black belt i mean i even it was pretty clear when i was gonna get it but i like i didn't even want to go pick it up it had become such a non-issue like my goal was literally go to jiu-jitsu today and then tomorrow my goal was go to jujitsu today and i've gotten more refined about trying to work in specific purposeful training into those goals but really i was trying to make sure that i i had a process versus obsessing over the results and that's something that we advocate for a lot on the podcast is building a good process and prioritizing the process instead of getting all obsessive about results because usually people who get obsessive about results they're the ones who have you know massive depression when they don't achieve their goals or they give up before they get there because it seems so unattainable whereas if you just focus on a process that works and you adhere to that process then every training session is a goal yeah. and you're always winning yeah. right and that's that's really the good thing right if you can get your brain into the point where you're always winning because you've achieved your process goals it just makes you feel more productive and it makes you actually more productive
1: yeah I, I, my brain Twisted as it is, is immediately going to Arnold Schwarzenegger and pumping iron, talking about how every time he's lifting weights, he's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming all the time. <laughs> but the I learned this lesson when I was doing judo years ago. It was a fairly competitive club, and the head instructor brought in a sports psychologist to kind of give us some basics of sports psychology. And he shared what I think is the single biggest lesson that I've gotten out of sports psychology, which is that big successes come on the back of little successes, right? If your goal is, I'm just rewording what you said. If your goal is to win an Olympic medal in judo, then that's going to be, you know, a four to 12 year goal for for the average judoka. And that's a long time to not have any positive feedback. Huh, you know, I've been training for three years. Am I an Olympic medalist yet? Nope. All right, well, I should keep my self-confidence up and I should keep training. It's been eight years now. Am I an Olympic medalist yet? No. At some point you're going to go, I have not got my medal yet, and I suck. Whereas, if you can break that down into small, achievable goals. You know, this week, I will meet with a strength and conditioning guy to come up to review my strength and conditioning plan for Judo, and I will go to Judo five times. You know, is that achievable? Yeah, that's probably achievable. Is it challenging? Yeah, it'll be challenging. But if you do something that's challenging, but achievable, and achieve it, then that's pretty good feedback for your for your ego and your sense of self-confidence. And you develop that forward momentum. And again, it's all about keeping forward momentum. It's in fact one of the reasons why one of the hardest things in jiu-jitsu is a plateau. Everyone kind of understands slumps. Man, I just sucked today. I'm sucking this week. And there's usually a reason for why you suck in the short term. You know, it, it might take you a little while to figure it out, but maybe you're fighting off a cold. And maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're guarding an injured body part. you know. Maybe you're overtrained. Maybe you're undertrained. There's usually a reason. But plateaus, they go on for longer than slumps usually. And they're way more emotionally devastating, mm-hmm. I think, for most people. Because you're just training hard every day and you're not getting any better. And people around you are getting better. And you've lost that sense of momentum. So at that point, really, you have to change something up radically
0: yeah it's funny i remember way back in the early days of this podcast we talked about plateaus and you know this is such a common problem and people get really obsessive about plateaus and overcoming them and i think people want like a really really satisfying clear solution like oh just do xyz or use this memory retention technique or do these drills like they want some easy way out but really the only solution i've ever found to overcome plateaus Is to accept that plateaus are normal and just keep showing up. And then eventually the plateau will break. Like a a lot of the time, whether or not that plateau, you know, when you go to the next level, it's kind of out of your control in a lot of ways. But one of the most important things is to accept that plateaus are normal and accept that you're having one and then just keep showing up. And then eventually the plateau will break. But uh, I mean, if there's an easier way to do it, I certainly have not discovered it yet
1: yeah i sometimes like just changing the game like instead of trying to be let's say i'm plateaued out at i don't know brown belt and my game is butterfly guard game and my passing game is a pressure passing game right so i I, my typical round i start in the butterfly guard i sweep i go to an over under pass and I, i smash pass that way and now i just i've been plateaued for weeks maybe months i'm not getting any better Everyone's got my number. Uh, I think sometimes you can engineer a small win by totally changing your game and doing something that you know you're going to suck at, but there's a reason you're going to suck at it, because it's new to you. I'm going to start working on Spider Guard. I'm going to start working on long step passing. It's now easier to stomach that you suck at Spider Guard and that you suck at long step passing because it's not your game. So you can work on a new aspect of the game which you're still going to suck at but now there's a reason and I think it's a little bit easier to internalize I think that's a technique I've used sometimes that's worked for me I don't know if it's worked for other people
0: I can definitely relate to it it's something that I've done as well I mean I remember when I was like a four-stripe brown belt honestly jujitsu had just stopped being fun for me and I took a long time off I just kind of lost my passion for it and it took me a while to kind of understand why. And it's just because I had all of these expectations around myself, you know, almost being a black belt thinking I'm supposed to be this good, but I'm not as good as I want to be. You know, I struggle when I roll with brown belts and sometimes purple belts. And I just had all of these expectations around what I should be doing and who I should be that it had just taken the fun out of it. And at some point I just kind of accepted that and learned to experience joy in kind of the bad days and being bad at things and that for me was a real breakthrough moment where rather than feeling like i need to be good at this and i'm a failure if i'm not good at this just accepting that look you're not always going to be good at this and just going in and enjoying the process and training myself to you know if I go in and I get my ass kicked by someone to enjoy that and to be thankful for that opportunity and to smile and to compliment the other person on the things they did right and to ask them for pointers and just rather than feeling dejected to kind of embrace <laughs> those those bad moments I found really helped me learn to actually look forward to them and and learn much faster because I wasn't avoiding these difficult situations anymore
1: well that takes us back to one of the earlier things we talked about on this podcast Steve and that was the idea of how does a community put itself back together mm-hmm. post-covid and I think one of the things that a lot of people are struggling with is that watching the behavior of some of the influencers in the sport has really undermined their enjoyment of the sport itself. There they go, oh, so-and-so is doing this on his Instagram. I find this morally repugnant and therefore I hate jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Or they they may not even be that explicit about it, but it has affected their their love for the sport. So just now you were talking about how your passion for jujitsu Like all things, to everything there's a season. It's gonna grow and it's gonna wane. There are gonna be peaks and valleys of that as well. And if you've been through a few cycles of that, going, man, I'm just not feeling jujitsu this summer. I'm not just not feeling jujitsu these four or five months. And then it comes back. That gives you some hope for being able to sort of (laughs) take a vacation from something, right? It's kind of like a trial separation. That then ends up rekindling a marriage. Even though I don't think that happens very often in marriages, I think it's quite common in sports and in passion activities.
0: Well, it's kind of like being able to understand that there's a regression to the mean, right? When everyone starts jujitsu, they've got that white belt enthusiasm, which just isn't sustainable over the long term, right? Eventually the candle's gonna wear thin a little bit. And I think people then get demoralized and don't realize that look, that's normal. You know, you can't maintain the same level of constant enthusiasm for something for 10 plus years, right? There are going to be downtimes. And again, Once you've been doing something long enough, you see those patterns, you see those peaks and valleys and you realize, oh, this isn't the end of the world that I'm having a, you know, a rough few months. This is normal. Sometimes you're on top of the mountain. Sometimes you're in the valley, right? Right now I'm in the valley, but I know that if I just keep at it, then we'll get back to where I want to be. And that kind of long-term view is something that I think it it takes a long time, obviously, to develop because you need experience, Mm -hmm. but we're definitely in a valley
1: Well, we're both here to tell everybody listening that this is a fact, (laughs) that we've both gone through this in various ways and in various forms, and we've seen other people go through this, so this isn't something we're making up, and if you've not been through it yet or if 2020 is your first experience of it, trust us, you can make it back, you can rekindle your love for the sport. We will find a way to square these differences, to build these bridges, to mend these fences.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, something that I always have to keep in mind is that, like you said earlier on the podcast, people are at their worst when they're under extreme stress. That's when you find out what the dark side of everyone's personality is. And nobody's perfect, but everyone's negative traits are amplified when they're under stress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually, one of the signs of a good leader is their ability to cool the room when it's stressful rather than escalating it right if someone goes into a stressful situation and they make it worse they're not a very good leader a good leader is a person who can cool down a stressful situation so i'm hoping that as things get better for everyone we'll start to see that cooling and kind of we'll see people be able to move past this bizarre year and kind of go back to something like what we used to have before
1: When I think of the fire department analogy here, I've seen it at both extremes. I've seen it, you know, pulling up at a, what was it? It was in a farm field that was full of water. And there was a cup, like 10 feet of bushes that were on fire. If we had done nothing, that fire would have gone out in about 15 minutes, right? It's a bunch of bushes on the side of a gravel road in the middle of a waterlogged farm field. Not an emergency at all. And the captain was an excitable fellow. And before you know it, he's screaming at the top of his lungs about, you know, do this this way and do this that way. And he would always lose his mind. And he was one of the worst captains to have on any scene because it would take a non-stressful call and make it stressful. And it would take a legitimately stressful call and put it up into the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there were some captains you'd pull up and on the radio, they'd be talking. dispatch, this is engine three, we have a fully involved apartment building, four stories high, there's people on the balcony awaiting rescue, we're gonna start rescuing them, please keep the other units coming. And like, that is one of the most stressful situations you can imagine, is, you know, people hanging on balconies and there's a fire behind them. But by him being almost, like it sounded like he was sleepwalking. Now, I'm sure inside his stress level was 11 out of 10. But By him staying calm, it was just a, a a calming effect on the entire scene, and allowed people to behave at their best. Oh, okay. I'm gonna throw a ladder now. Uh, I've done this before. I've done this in training. I, I totally know how to do this. Right? Let's let's do this efficiently, and kind of trying to find the right level of arousal for a given task. Uh, you know, if you're, I grant you that if you're deadlifting you're as much as you possibly can. You might want to be at a pretty high state of arousal. You might want to be at a 9 out of 10. And if you're, that involves playing, I don't know, the, the heaviest heavy metal that you can play and slapping yourself in the face and screaming, that might be the right way to deadlift for you. But it's probably not the right way to do jiu mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's probably not the right way to engage in conversations around coronavirus online.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you want a great example of coolness under pressure, I mean, compare a white belt rolling versus a black belt rolling and you can see the difference right the the white belt is just like burning all of their energy and to really no avail whereas you know black belts are usually pretty cool under pressure right because they've been there before they they are stress inoculated they know what they're dealing with and so it's just another day at the office for them and it's a great example in a microcosm of how you know being more intense often does not actually help you achieve your goals right it can wind up escalating things it can wind up burning energy whereas one of the things that has always attracted me to jiu is that when done right it is very much about cooling things down right it is really a martial art of de-escalation whereas most other martial arts can't make that claim right you're either trying to knock someone out or you're trying to throw them hard enough that they can't get up but in jujitsu like really what you're trying to do is de-escalate to the point where the person can't move anymore and they have to give up i mean it is something that henner gracie once described as the only true self-defense martial art Because all other martial arts are more about self-offense. And I think that's completely true, right? That's one of the things I love about jujitsu. And I think why you see so many of these leadership coaches go on and on about the merits of jujitsu is because ultimately jujitsu is just a physical manifestation of cooling down the fight.
1: And stress inoculation. When a beginner's on the bottom of a mount and the other guy's chest is in his face, he thinks he's dying. And eventually he realizes that no it's it's i'm not dying this is just another day at the office there may be a way to get out of here i know what i need to do it may or may not work but i do know what i need to do and that's that's often something like going into uh my kidney transplant right i was i was dying i was down to 12% kidney function most people have to have dialysis at about 15% and i was just ruined right i'd, I'd wake up tired I'd function for three, four hours, I'd have to take a nap, I'd function for another few hours, and I'd just feel destroyed. And going into the surgery, I was pretty calm, because I had done everything I could do, right? Like, it's the, uh, what is the Alcoholics Anonymous prayer there, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the strength to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I had done everything I could. I had gone into this in as good physical shape as I could. I'd written out my will, I'd you know done the whole power of attorney thing, I was getting a transplant, I'd vetted the surgeon, I was you know, had all my systems in play for for how I was gonna recover from this thing. And you you've done what you can do. So at that point, the optimal state of arousal is pretty low. Now, sure, if you're trying to lift a car off your kid, or if you're In the finals of some big tournament, and the guy's trying to triangle choke you, and you, you decide that you want to stand up to try and break the triangle choke, it might be time to go to 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10, right? You're going to lose otherwise, so let's not leave anything on the mat. Let's burn every last bit of energy I have trying to stand up to break this triangle choke. Or let's use every last bit of strength I have to lift this car off this kid. or. You know, let's use every bit of strength I have to to paddle really hard here, so that I don't go over this waterfall. But being able to modulate your level of arousal, you know, oh, this is a time that's probably better to be calm. Oh, this is a time it's probably be better to be engaged, because some people do jujitsu and they are too relaxed. That can happen, like people who are who so venerate the oh, relax, my friend. Well, so they're always a two out of ten. But there are times that they should probably be going up to 5 out of 10, right? You've almost got a sweep. You've got a butterfly sweep. The guy's just on his tippy toes. The guy's hop, 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 hop. You know, you might at that point want to put a little bit of oomph to it and quickly go to 5 out of 10 to finish and then dial it back down, right? You can modulate it. I think that's a very useful skill in life as well as on the mat. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like the example you brought about how you got to a point where you felt like I've done everything I can in my preparation here. And now I'm relaxed because I couldn't have prepared myself any better. So, what else is there to do? I think that's another benefit to the process of preparation and of having a good process is that you can get to kind of a point of peace where you feel like, look, whatever happens at this point, it happens. But I did the best that I could do. And there's Kind of a joy in achieving that. It's a lot easier to be relaxed when you don't have any doubts about your preparation and you knew that you did the best job you could to get there. And at this point, you know, there's a lot of random factors that are out of your hands, but it comes down to now, did I do everything I could have done? And you either did or you didn't.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you enter a jiu jitsu tournament and the current world champion, you know, if, if Bushesha ends up in your bracket, He's just, he's on vacation. He decides to jump into a tournament. The odds of you winning are pretty low, but you can still feel good if you've done everything that you can to prepare for it. I think that was one of the mindset tricks that Brandon Mullins talked about when we did our book together is that, you know, remind yourself that this was your choice and that you've done everything you can to prepare. And now, now you you roll the dice and some, you know, some days you get the bear and some days the bear gets you. The, the the days of having four hundred and o records <laughs> now now with the internet, now that those things are checkable, you know nobody has a four hundred and no record
0: mm-hmm mm mm-hmm. well, let me ask you a question here that ties into some of this. I mean you're of course best known for grapple arts right now
1: mm-hmm.
0: Judged on the comments from your Instagram feed, I believe that you are a jujitsu billionaire and you're just sitting on like a giant pile of money like Scrooge McDuck, right? Big grapple arts. But what I'm wondering is in reality, I'm sure that you've had a lot of ups and downs over the years too, right? I mean, you've been doing this thing for man at least as i mean you'd already been well established in your instructionals before i even started jujitsu and i'm wondering in terms of resilience from a business standpoint have you ever had any experiences where you thought like man just like you know something you just got the the wind knocked out of you based on something that happened you were worried whether you could keep going whether you could keep doing it whether it would be viable
1: uh for sure for sure i think the biggest uh gut check moments were times when I ran into giant, unexpected expenses in my life. Uh, I remember, for example, uh, getting divorced. And I, I'm, I'm at peace with it now. I'm on good terms with my ex-wife. You know, we take care of our kids together. It's It's all good now, but it wasn't good then, right? It took a ton of discipline to try to hold my tongue as best as I could. And like a lot of divorced guys who were the financial engine in the family, I really felt like I was getting the shaft. But it wouldn't have been good for the kids for me to keep on yammering on about this at every opportunity. So I kind of just had to suck it up. And that was one binary decision point where it's like, okay, I've kind of been doing this grapple arts thing for a while, but it's time to get real serious about it. I don't know if i can survive this financially but if i don't do anything i'm not going to survive it if i give it my all then maybe i will survive it right on 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 the one hand <laughs> there's an opportunity and on the other hand there's no choice and i've been through that a few times and every time the answer has been to ramp it up to the next level right like oh guess what uh apple just has refused to let me update any of my apps in the Apple Store, it's going to cost $100,000 to produce the Grapple Arts BJJ Master app, which is actually how much it cost over a year and a half. You know, is this going to work? I don't know, but what are my options, right? If if I don't do anything, I, I'm finished. If I double down on this and go harder, I I may survive. And I did survive. Of course, it's pretty funny now to watch people saying that I I haven't heard it that much recently, but initially there were some conspiracy theories that uh, Kesting was a big advocate of COVID because he was trying to drive people off the mat where they could train and learn from their instructor to home where they would just buy his instructionals. And of course, that really isn't true. I mean, 2021 has not been a good year financially. I just want to make that clear. You, I know you were joking there about the Scrooge McDuck thing, but I do feel compelled to say that when you alienate half your audience, as I have done, And when you alienate the half of the audience, that's still mostly training and thus having the most pressing problems for like, how the hell do I submit somebody? That's not a good business decision. (laughs) So it was absolutely the wrong business decision, but it was the right moral and ethical decision. So yeah, to to generalize, to jump back to the general point though, jiu-jitsu is stress inoculation. It does teach the value of perseverance, right? It, It does make you, tougher and it does make you more confident. I think the confidence thing was something that you pointed out when you came on my podcast to talk about it. It doesn't make you a better person, but it does make you tougher. It does give you a sense of the value of perseverance and teaches you how to train it. It is stress inoculation. It's a series of small challenges. And that's the exact same thing as business. I don't care what business you're in. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be challenges. Your best employee is going to quit. You're going to find out that, I don't know, a bunch of employees have been stealing from you. Your biggest customer leaves. Your supply chain gets all screwed up. It's real-time problem-solving, just like jiu-jitsu. If we're training next year, you are going to give me a problem that I've never seen before. Oh, I've never seen this kind of grip before. What the hell do I do? Well, let me figure it out. And I might give you a problem that you've never seen before, not very good at dealing with. So we're both trying to figure out problems in real time and that's really no different from running a business or being a parent for that matter or being in a relationship there's always going to be challenges right if you the only way not to have a challenge in what you're doing is by setting your bar and your your standards so incredibly low if you're happy just working at McDonald's for the rest of your life and then coming home and playing a video game and living in your mom's basement i'll, I'll agree with you that's not super challenging you're might, maybe not going to run into major challenges very often but if you got any kind of ambition then you're you're kind of agreeing to take on problems
0: hey i mean arguably depending on the video game it might be challenging some video games are very very hard
1: (laughs) i have so steered away from video games i think (laughs) i would be so easily addictable i i've I've not played a video game since the era of asteroids. You... <laughs> like, I was in the store in one of the stores like, a couple of years ago and I was looking up on the shelf and they had some like Roman army simulation game. I was like, you know, that's really it and I just smacked myself across the face. Like, no, I'm not this is this is the just a tip. Just a tip just for a second, just to see how it feels. I'm pretty sure that video gaming would feel pretty damn good and that would be the end of my accomplishing anything in life
0: you know it's funny i have learned not to be so quick to assume that other people are wasting their time in their hobbies i mean a lot of people would look at us and say why would you waste all your time doing pajama strangling right what a stupid thing to do with your time and one thing that i've learned in the career that i've had i mean i used to be a project lead at electronic arts and so i managed the web platform for a lot of their games and at my full-time job now i work with a lot of youtube influencers and you know a lot of them are gamers and man, like it's no joke. You know, some of these guys like, yeah, they're technically what they're doing is playing video games. If you, if you wanted to still it down to at the end of the day, what it really is, sure. They're playing video games or, but you know, they're, they can be making millions of dollars a year easily. Right. Uh, you know, if you do it the right way at scale, it's really impressive. The different paths people can find to business success. So.
1: Sure. Yeah. If if that's the thing that brings your life joy or brings your life meaning, I'm actually on board with you doing it. What I'm not on board with you doing it is as a distraction mm-hmm. that takes you away from a con- – like all the people who are like, man, I'd love to do X, Y, Z. I just don't have any time. Well, you do have time. If What are your priorities? Is it your top priority? There are 168 hours in a week. and Let's say you got to sleep for eight hours a night. So That's 56 hours. That's still more than 100 hours. You could actually work two full-time jobs. Right. You could conceivably put in 40 hours a week on your day job and then put in 40 hours a week doing whatever else it is that you really want to develop. Now, if playing video games brings you joy, cool. If it brings you sanity, cool. If pajama strangling gives you meaning life, cool. But to pick a hypothetical example, let's say you really, really, really wanted to have, I don't know, a, a degree in biochemistry. And you're like, man, I just I just can't get my PhD in biochemistry. There's just no time. And your friends point out that you're doing three jiu-jitsu classes a day. Mm-hmm. Well, your friends would have a pretty legit point saying, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to do jujitsu, or do you want to be a biochemist? You got to choose. Maybe you can go to one class a day. You can't go to three and get your PhD. Right? So it's when people distract themselves from their stated goals and when there's a a dissonance there. That's, that's when I have a problem with distractions.
0: And I think it's so critical that people are open and honest with themselves about what their priorities really are. I mean, people always bug me because I do jujitsu as a hobby and they're always saying, Steve, why don't you compete? Why don't you do this one? You do that. And it's like, look, I have made decisions about what role jujitsu plays in my life. And with that comes a certain amount of time boxing that I'm willing to put around it. Because mm-hmm. if I were to take jujitsu seriously as a like a competitive sport or as a profession i'd have to put in a lot more time and if i do that then that is time i'm not spending on other activities uh, that to me are a higher priority and it's a conscious decision and that's just the way that it is
1: you'd be training twice a day and then you'd be going to do conditioning and you'd be running from one physiotherapist to the massage practitioner to the cryotherapy uh, session to the chiropractic session to, uh, to the sports medicine session and you'd need needing to get nine to 10 hours of sleep a night and so it's not just the additional training time it's all the other time commitments that come with the additional training
0: yeah 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 exactly and that's something that you know at that point it's become a full-time job and mm-hmm. if that's what you want to do with your life then all the power to you but so to other people, you know, to me, for example, if I wanted to do jiu professionally, it would be at the exclusion of other things that, to me, are a higher priority, and I'm at peace with that. So that's one of the things that I find interesting about jiu is that... I, I think that most instructors try to funnel their students down the path that they took because mm-hmm. it's what they enjoy doing and so they assume that it is what their students will also enjoy doing and you know most instructors come from a competitive background and running a gym is just a thing they do to pay the bills so they can do what they actually want to do <laughs> which is go compete and so the challenge is you wind up with instructors who are trying to cookie cutter their students into the same mold that they were made in and I think that a lot of the time that that's really not the most Applicable way to get people to kind of maximize their value out of the sport. But anyway, so yeah, it's been a a weird year for sure. I mean, again, this is going to be the first episode that goes live in 2021, assuming we don't have like a nuclear fallout before then or something. I guess one thing that's been interesting about this year is whatever happened one way or another, it's a shared experience that I don't think any of us will ever forget and we'll all be able to collectively relate to. I mean, we were talking to dr david lay about this and he was saying that you know one thing he'll be able to do in the future when he is helping people work with depression is he can just say hey do you remember what 2020 felt like (laughs) you know it's a it's a, Mm. a benchmark that we all collectively experienced and that is something very unique that i don't think we'll ever see again in our lifetimes at least i hope not and i guess the question then is well if we all had this collective negative valley that we're currently in maybe we can all have a collective positive experience coming out of this a collective resilient experience and i guess stefan is one of the kind of pioneers in the sport a guy that has probably had an impact on almost all of our listeners i would ask you what would you like to see going into 2021 like if there's one positive that can come out of this last year in terms of doing a rebound what would you like to see next year?
1: Wow, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, on a kind of a societal level, I would love to see an increase in trust of science and the scientific process, and I'd love to see a decline in the conspiracy thinking that has almost ruined society. I'm not sure that's the answer. that, that That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see as people go, you know, what the vaccine really did change my life. Yeah, I can now go start doing things. Maybe these scientists actually do know a thing or two. Uh, maybe the scientific process is actually valid. That that would be the best case scenario. I know that goes way beyond jujitsu, but uh, that is my my hope for society. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Let's let's we'll do it at the year end recap uh, next year. Is that is that what you're looking for, or were you looking for a more positive, happy, happy message.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. You tell me, right? It's what what you're looking for. But I, I can agree with that. I think that even going beyond, you know, things like science skepticism, I think kind of the bigger thing is I would love to see a reduction in tribalism. And I would love to see more productive discussions because it really feels like all of the issues that we have right now stem from the fact that there's a big divide Mm -hmm. the world has kind of progressively moved into two different camps and there's not really a lot of nuanced productive discussion between those camps anymore it seems almost irreconcilable and i'm hoping that now that we're kind of at the hopefully the tail end of this pandemic people will be more willing to have more productive discussions have an open mind be respectful and engage each other. And I think that if you can make that happen, then I think that you'll see hopefully a cooling of the room and that maybe people will begin to come back together.
1: Well, if it's true that we're not seeing people at their best, yeah, and if there's both viral recovery, if the numbers start going down and an economic recovery, because the economic impact of this is, is gigantic, then I think we'll start seeing people at their best or closer to their best anyway. So that 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 would be congruent with what you're hoping for. So I, I think it's the only way forward, and hopefully we will see a, a reduction in the tribalism. I mean, it's kind of insane that if I know your position on climate change, that I also know your position, or I can guess your position, on gun control, abortion, mask wearing, social distancing, and a whole bunch of other issues. Because, I mean, honestly, what does global warming have to do with abortion?
0: It really is actually insane and problematic, because you're right. like, The world has basically moved into two camps. If you know my position on one matter, then you can probably guess my position on almost any other matter, even if they're technically totally unrelated. And that really should not be the case, right? Because that...
1: It's not 100% true. I mean, I know some Second Amendment fanatics that call themselves that. Who, who love their guns, who've been out there sharing studies about how masks work and how, you know, we should not be listening to QAnon and stuff. So, so there are exceptions and I'm hoping that the exceptions become the rule. I hope that people start kind of picking and choosing their beliefs from the buffet table of beliefs as opposed to, you know, to go back to conspiracy theories. I get it. If you really, really think that, I don't know, the moon landing was faked, I'll give you one conspiracy for free. Right? You you got you got a ton of quote evidence unquote. But now when you start believing every other conspiracy as well, that's when it's a tribe essentially. You're in the conspiracy tribe. You're not even picking and choosing from the buffet of beliefs and trying to decide on each belief on its own merits. You're just accepting a position. For somebody who's probably contrarian or would consider themselves a contrarian, you're just taking a whole entire suite of beliefs hook line and sinker the moon landing was faked and this virus was engineered in a lab and bill gates wants to turn your body into an antenna and 5g is causing this and all the virologists epidemiologists and immunologists are lying to you and jfk was shot and queen elizabeth is a shape-shifting lizard like you know at that point you're not a free thinker anymore
0: but it's a great example, too, of just this tribalism, right? How not, yeah. <laughs> You're right, that it would be nice if people could kind of collectively pick and choose which of these things they wanted to believe in, but they seem to come in a whole package. And I think that's just evidence of the fact that we've kind of drifted apart into different groups. And I'm hoping that as we go into the next year, we'll see a degree of reconciliation. And, you know, I kind of wonder to what extent this all comes down to the fact that we don't talk to people like people anymore. You know, we're only interacting now through social media because we don't see each other in person anymore and i've had to catch myself because you know there are times when i'll be on facebook and i'll be typing something up and i have to stop and think like i would never deal with a person like this if it were just me and them in a room together but the nature of our interactions is just different when it goes through social media and i wonder if the fact that we're relying on that in lieu of real communication is A problem, and is part of the reason why we're drifting apart. Because there's there's just something fundamentally different about the way that you comment on someone's wall versus the way that you just talk to them directly. I I think that that just the method of communication it does not necessarily lend itself well for collaborative
1: discussion. Well, people have complimented me, and I thank them for it for mostly maintaining a civil tone online. And I'd I'd say that's basically true. I'd I'd say I done a pretty good job of it but it's only because i haven't typed out the first thing that came to mind (laughs) like i i promise you the uh the usually the first thing that comes to mind uh, involves a whole lot of four-letter words Mm -hmm. and then i don't type it's like not you know don't send that email right don't send that contentious email right after you write it let it sit overnight and look at it in the morning on a smaller scale i wait a few minutes and then i then i try to come up with a more civil more polite response and I think that that heuristic of like would I say this to this person, would I say this in person to this person is probably not a bad heuristic I mean part of the trouble is we're engaged in so many different conversations and so many different arguments it's hard to be civil and polite like if if you and I disagree on I don't know a taxation policy that might be a half hour conversation but if you go on to Facebook in search of a fight you could get in 30 different fights in a half hour. Yeah. Uh, if if you keep your sentences really short, then uh, you can be much more efficient at getting your point across. It's not more effective, but it is more efficient.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, for our patrons, we have a discord server. And if you haven't used it before, discord is, it's basically kind of like an old school chat server in terms of the way that it works. You know, it's just a bunch of people just typing messages and, i realize that i really enjoy chatting with people on that discord server and i really don't enjoy chatting with people on facebook and i think the difference is first of all the, the relationship i have with these people obviously i'm much closer with them than i am with the random people who might follow us on social but i think there's also something about the wall and comment model that you see on facebook and instagram that just lends itself to negativity and I don't know what it is i think it's that you know like look if i go into a chat room stefan and there's you know 100 people there and you're one of them and i'm one of them and i just post a message we can have a discussion but if i go onto a facebook and i post on my my wall and then people comment on that there's kind of an inherent sense of ownership of my ideas because i put something on my wall and then there's kind of an inherent sense of judgment on those ideas because people are commenting on it and i don't i don't really have my finger on it yet but it feels like there's just an inherent negativity that comes along with with that type of discussion and it just it seems a heck of a lot less productive than just sending messages directly to a person or just in a group chat
1: yeah i I I've seen forum based discussions or chat board discussions go south as well
0: yeah it's not it's not bulletproof by any means,
1: no, well we're just talking about nudging things in the direction of civility. There's no one fix all cure all mm-hmm. but but we are but I think you're correct in the sense that if we're both members of the same forum, it's kind of like how you would deal with a family member. It's like, okay, I disagree with you on this and this and this, but I'm gonna keep on seeing you at you know Christmas dinners. I'm going to keep on seeing you on a regular basis. I have to find a way to make this kind of sort of work in most cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's to a better 2021, Stefan.
1: Oh, I can only second that with with both hands. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, before I let you go, I mean, probably this is an obvious answer, but if our listeners want to learn more about you or if they want to see your work, how can they do that?
1: Well, grapplearts.com is a pretty good start. Another good place is Instagram, where I'm Stefan underscore kesting. I'm getting more active on Twitter recently. So if you search for Stefan Kesting there, you'll find it. Also, the podcast, the Strenuous Life podcast. I've just cleared 300 episodes. So that's pretty exciting. I've been at that for a while and I've taken it increasingly seriously as time goes on because I think it's such a valuable format. I mean, if people are getting to this point of your podcast here, we've just had their attention for more than an hour, mm-hmm. which is really an honor. Good luck keeping people's attention for reading an hour-long post it's going to be much less the the effects of video and of the written word are much more short term so it's really quite an honor when people listen to a podcast on their drive to work or during their workout or while they're cooking or while they're cleaning or while they're doing whatever so yeah if they if they enjoy yours and matt's podcast they might enjoy aspects of the strenuous life podcast so go check that out
0: yeah i think podcasting is a highly underutilized means of instruction for jujitsu and mm. it's one of the reasons why i think we've had the success that we've had is because it's a different way to learn and to think in a sport where people are used to being taught visually it's right. pretty easy for me to just put a camera on myself and you know show what i'm doing and then tell someone else hey, do that. (laughs) But unfortunately, that's not always a very good way of instructing because it kind of teaches you to turn your brain off. One of the things that I love about your instructionals is that they go much beyond that. They're not just monkey see monkey do instructionals. They really break things down and explain things. And one of the reasons I love the audio medium is it forces you to do that, right? If I want to talk about jujitsu, I can't just do something and say, just copy what I just did. I have to actually explain it. And then I have to really understand it because I don't have the benefit of a visual aid. So I think podcasting is a very powerful vehicle for instruction that is often unexplored in our art. But anyway thanks again for joining us of course if you want to support our show you can go to patreon.com slash bjj mental models it's the single best way you can support and keep the lights on for our show we also have a ton of premium content on there as well as things like access to the discord community that i mentioned earlier again that's patreon.com slash bjj mental models again stefan thank you so much for your time great to finally have you on the episode Happy New Year to you and yours. Happy New Year, of course, to all of the listeners. And I'll talk to everyone next week.
1: Happy New Year, everyone.